Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, June 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Supreme Court upholds the Affordable Care Act. Then the Southern Baptist Convention elects a new president. And President Biden makes Juneteenth a national holiday. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act on Thursday. By a 7-2 vote, the court threw out a challenge to the law brought by several Republican-led states, including Mississippi. Justices Alito and Gorsuch dissented. The Affordable Care Act, colloquially known as Obamacare, is designed to make baseline health care accessible for more Americans. It includes protections for pre-existing conditions and incentivizes states to expand Medicaid. Speaking with MPB's Kobe Vance, Richard Robertson of the Mississippi Hospital Association says the ACA has transformed Mississippi's health care system. What's funny is in Mississippi we've taken advantage of pretty much every other benefit that's been afforded to us by the Affordable Care Act, except for Medicaid expansion. We've taken hundreds of millions of dollars in additional federal money that's been provided to the Division of Medicaid under the traditional program. We've taken money for patient care navigators at some of our state hospital facilities. We've taken advantage of the federal health care exchange. If you'll remember, About 10 years ago, our insurance commissioner had uh, proposed a state-based exchange, and there was a dispute between the commissioner and the governor, and the federal government ended up not approving our state plan for our state exchange, which would have been a wonderful program. Instead, the state defaulted back into the federal program or the federal exchange for, for health insurance. So we've taken advantage of all of those things, and pretty much the only thing we have not taken advantage of is expanding coverage to additional Mississippians who are low-income, working Mississippians that need access to health care coverage that is available through expanding Medicaid. 
Do you think this court decision is going to cement the future of uh, the Affordable Care Act, or do you think there might be future challenges to the to the legislation? If I'm not mistaken, I believe this is the third time the U.S. Supreme Court has upheld the Affordable Care Act. So over about 10 years now, we've had three Supreme Court decisions upholding the Affordable Care Act. From a litigation standpoint and just from a, a use of resources and time and money, you would hope that there aren't any more challenges since it seems pretty clear that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to continue to uphold the Affordable Care Act. And they did so even after two of the justices appointed by President Trump voted to uphold the Affordable Care Act in this decision today. So it seems pretty clear that the Supreme Court is not going to to do away with the Affordable Care Act. So unless something were to change in Congress, then I believe the Affordable Care Act is, is here to stay. And regardless, it's the law of the land today, and we ought to be doing everything that we can under the law to take advantage of opportunities that are made available to address the human suffering and the health care conditions of our Mississippi population. Jamison Taylor is vice president for policy at the conservative-leaning Mississippi Center for Public Policy. He says he's frustrated by the Supreme Court's decision. I believe the decision says more about the Supreme Court than anything else. The court's decision in this case highlights the incoherence of the two earlier, much stronger challenges to Obamacare. And for the average person, it kind of feels like the court is committed to upholding the status quo and also sidestepping tough questions and issuing narrow opinions that really don't get to the heart of the matter. Mississippi was one of 18 states that joined to try to overturn uh, the Affordable Care Act. What was your thoughts about Mississippi being a part of that? What do you see as Mississippi's goals in that effort? I believe that the state of Mississippi uh, made the right decision to continue to ask the Supreme Court to clarify its thinking on Obamacare, especially because of the incoherence of previous Supreme Court decisions, the NFIB decision and the Burwell decision. They just didn't make a lot of sense. And so Mississippi joined these other red states in asking the court to continue to look at this. We also saw a strong opinion from the Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So that gave conservatives, I think, some hope that maybe the Supreme Court would take a third look at this issue. Do you think this is going to help strengthen the arguments for the people that are uh, for Medicaid expansion? I believe that we have two separate issues here. First, you have Obamacare, which is expanding through the health care exchanges, and the Biden administration has issued rules to expand coverage for Obamacare. And with that coverage, the federal government pays a 100 percent match. Now, with Medicaid, the federal government pays a 90 percent match. So if you're expanding Obamacare through the exchanges, it seems as if some of those folks that would otherwise be on Medicaid, they're going to end up getting coverage through the exchanges. So we're seeing an expansion of insurance coverage, which in a, in a certain respect is private insurance coverage through the health exchanges. In a certain respect, it's not private insurance coverage. But in any event, we're seeing an expansion of health insurance coverage through the exchanges. And that takes some of the wind out of the sales of folks who want to expand Medicaid. Over 100,000 Mississippians currently receive health care through the ACA. 
Coming up, Mississippi's largest evangelical denomination is at a crossroads. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 21% of Mississippians are members of the Southern Baptist Convention, according to the Pew Research Center. That makes the SBC the biggest religious denomination in the most religious state in the country. The SBC is ideologically conservative and predominantly white, but increasingly racially diverse. That's brought some of its members into conflict over how the denomination should approach issues of race in America. At the SBC annual meeting earlier this week, the vote for convention president came down to a runoff between two white men, Pastor Mike Stone, who rejects critical race theory, and Pastor Ed Litton, who's made racial reconciliation efforts a key part of his ministry and who was endorsed by prominent black colleagues. Lytton won, and the denomination averted potential racial crisis, but tensions remain. Eddie Jones is a Southern Baptist pastor based in Mississippi. In 1982, he assembled the state's first black SBC congregation. He's now pastor of the Victory Temple Baptist Church in Greenville. Jones tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's heard a variety of opinions within the convention on issues of race. One thing about the convention, each church is interdependent. You know, they're independent in a sense, but we depend on one another. And each church has the autonomous, and they got the right to believe certain things and do certain things. And I respect those that have different opinions than I do on situation, but there's a lot of situations that I disagree on, and then there's a lot of things I do agree on. Critical race theory or teaching, you, you can't whitewash or push things aside. But at the same time, those of us that are pastors, we have to keep that evangelistic thrust in mind that we're here to grow and change hearts. Now, even though there's a lot of things happen back during slavery and then, of course, even during the civil rights movement and all those time in between. But I'm old enough to remember going into a separate movie theater upstairs while the whites go downstairs or either having the colored water fountain or either being in a store and a white woman come in, then we have to, boys have to step aside to allow her to be waited on first. But I always say, that blacks in the Southern Baptist are some of the most forgiving people in the world because we knew what happened. And we're not, I'm not going to whitewash it and put it like it didn't happen. But I forgive all of that that happened. And, of course, during Black History Month, we go back and we teach our congregation the truth concerning Southern Baptists and Black Baptists and why we are here and racial tensions that we have to deal with today. 
Another issue that came up was not enough is being done to hold those who have been perpetrators of sexual abuse accountable for their actions within the denomination. What would you like to see the denomination do in response to this concern? Number one, they're going to have to listen to the person that has been violated. they got to listen. Because of the nature of our denomination, each church is autonomous. It makes it a little bit more difficult to deal with it because each church make a decision on if they're going to keep their pastor or dismiss him. Well, being a part and being the first church in the state to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, what are you hearing from your colleagues, other African-American pastors? Is there a frustration? Are there some talking about leaving the denomination? I have not heard anybody in Mississippi that say that they think about leaving the convention or anything like that. And even when I was in Oklahoma, I didn't hear anything. But every black pastor that I know is aware of some of the things that go on in the convention. And we know, as you know, uh, I'm black, I'm uh, I'm 66 years old, and, I'm, and I've been a part of the convention for a long time. I do know that there's a lot of racism that still exists, even in our convention. But because each uh, each church, each association, each state convention, all are interdependent of each, of each other. And so, therefore, we may say something or may have an idea, but what we do is, we take and focus in, back in, on our local congregation, trying to reach people, and we find the resources that may be available from the state convention or the national convention to help grow that local church. Now, if I know somebody that in my association or maybe in the state that I know kind of racist, what I do, I don't have to deal with that person. The convention is so big. You can work with people, and you know who they are. You work with people that want to work to reach people, no matter what color they are. Anything that I didn't ask you that is important to touch on? Sometimes when people look at those that are of color in uh, the convention or either in the Mississippi Baptist Convention, they look at you like maybe you're Uncle Tom or maybe you're token black. No. Uh, I've been a part of it longer than anybody else in Mississippi, and I never felt like a token black or Uncle Tom because I say what I mean. I mean what I say. I try to live a life of integrity. When something is wrong, I speak my piece. I say it. Uh, I'm not a radical. I don't go in 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 a threatening way. But I do let people know that when certain things begin to happen, then what it does, it hurts our outreach in the African-American community, especially being a part of the Southern Baptist or the Mississippi Baptist Convention. It hurts when something happens and it's not being properly addressed. It do hurt when you're trying to reach people for Jesus and there is a um, dark cloud that's hanging around 
the convention or hang around, especially when it comes to racial issues. I remember years ago when I came to Greenville, Mississippi, I think back in 87, and I started the church up here. And the first thing a lot of the blacks told me when I got here, they said, oh, you that young man that First Baptist hired to start up a church to keep black folks out of First Baptist. I said, no, ma'am, that's not why they hired me. I was hired to reach African-American. They know that First Baptist Church Greenville is not going to be able to reach black people. So therefore, they wanted to bring someone in that looked like the people that they were trying to reach. And that was me back in 1987. When something happened, the church planter or the pastor has to deal with those things on the local level. I try my best to focus in on all the good things we are doing, but at the same time, I do point out when something is wrong, I do point that out. Reverend Eddie Jones, pastor of Victory Temple in Greenville, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this important issue. You're more than welcome. Coming up, Juneteenth is now a federal holiday. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, also known as Freedom Day. It's the oldest known celebration commemorating the end of slavery in the U.S. On June 19, 1865, Union troops arrived at Galveston, Texas, with news that the Civil War had ended and the enslaved were now free. On Thursday, President Biden signed legislation to make Juneteenth a federal holiday in the U.S. Daphne Chamberlain, who is a professor at Tougaloo College, says the president's symbolic gesture is notable. But she tells MPB's Ashley Norwood, the fight for freedom in America isn't over. I think that this is a a very uh, progressive direction that we are going in with making uh, Juneteenth a federal holiday. And, of course, that that is a positive mark, and it's commendable of the Biden administration. But for those of us who have been celebrating Freedom Day or Juneteenth since its inception, that that's always been a part of the African-American experience in our, our local communities and in communities across this nation. Juneteenth is also known as Freedom Day. You know, with this this history, we have to understand, and especially with the world in which we live right now and some of the instances of racial violence and racial injustice that we are seeing across this country, we have to remember that freedom is a constant struggle, and every day is a day that we need to celebrate Freedom Day and um, understand that freedom is a battle that is ongoing. You know, that as a historian, but even just as a member of a community, a member of a race of people who have been strong and resilient, that's my position, is that that's a celebration that we're talking about, is that enslaved people were liberated, but there are still systemic issues that have to be addressed to um, to empower people but also liberate people. And it's not just about uh, liberating people from chains, it's also changing hearts and minds and changing policies that will um, make sure that equity is is sustainable and also uh, attainable by all. You know, Juneteenth 
being a federal holiday, I, I think that's great. But, of course, what we will see, Ashley, perhaps would be a counter to that. There's always a counter. We have the Martin Luther King holiday, but then we also have efforts to Confederate History Month, Black History Month. So there there will be a counter to it, and, and there will always be opposition to something that celebrates people who don't represent the perceived American narrative, but... African-American history is American history. Native American history is American history. Anything that is a part of the narrative of the people who make up this melting pot of a nation, that is American history, and we must not forget that. Now, this history, some may say, has been hidden from most of our classrooms for so long. I want to ask you, you know, just in your experience as you've been educated and as an educator, if that is true, and why do you think that is? Also, what could be a lasting impact of that sort of history missing from our classrooms? What we are seeing right now is an attack on the history discipline, and we're also seeing an attack on truth-telling where it concerns history of this nation. And, of course, um, the history of this nation is intricately linked to the experience of African Americans from slavery to freedom, and we can't ignore that history. For the most part, we, we have so many people who are engaged in a campaign to promote historical amnesia. And uh, in order for us to be truthful with ourselves and know that everybody's history is American history, uh, we have to make sure that it's in the textbooks that it's being taught. Our children are being exposed to that information and, and understanding that all history is not good history, but but it, it makes us better in how we can build our communities and build bridges for uh, meaningful conversations that bring about true change in the United States. Can you talk about the ways in which black people, uh, African-American people, have celebrated Juneteenth or Freedom Day over the years? What do those celebrations look like? What do they include socially and culturally? Well, socially, of course, and, and just thinking about Freedom Day itself, at that particular moment you have um, formerly enslaved people at that particular moment in history who are thinking about ways in which they can shape their own destinies coming out of the brutal institution of slavery. But um, with those celebrations, of course, whether it be as a community or as an individual, when you think about freedom, those opportunities to be empowered through an education, be empowered through having access to the ballot and being a part of the political process, being empowered to have a job that pays you and respects you as an employee, the ability to be an individual but also be a community of people who have come out of the institution of slavery. And it has grown to around empowerment of of African Americans, whether it be through uh, supporting black-owned and operated businesses to uh, providing opportunities to hear from your community leaders and engage in conversations about community uplift and even just, you know, telling the truth about the history of Juneteenth and about the struggle of African Americans 
over the history of this this nation. But but it has been a celebration that people have enjoyed, and it brings people together to celebrate. But again, every day is Freedom Day, and especially when we live in a nation where lives are being cut down senselessly and no opportunities given for people to to have a say in, in whatever it is. And I'm just thinking about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, and, and the list goes on, of course. But, yeah, that's it. Daphne Chamberlain, Associate Professor of History at Tougaloo College. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about the history and the meaning of Juneteenth. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.